0: Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah. How do you pray when you feel like your whole world is falling apart? You know, desperation occurs for us in a variety of ways. Maybe uh, for some of you it occurred when your spouse told you that they were leaving. Maybe it was the death of a loved one. I think of families who lost everything they had in the, in the hurricanes in Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico. How devastating that would be. Or maybe it was for one of the 58 families that lost a loved one in the shootings in Las Vegas. How do you engage God when things look so bleak? We can go back to this little book of course, named after a famous man by the name of Jonah. And he had a situation that was extremely dire. Most of us are familiar with the major details, but there's a backstory that I think is is quite interesting. And we read a prayer that he gave to God here in Jonah 2 that I think is very instructive for, for us here today. Now, Jonah was called to be a prophet of Nineveh. And he was not the only prophet that had been called to Nineveh. Uh, There was a man by the name of Nahum about 150 years after Jonah who had announced doom on this great city. Basically, it was because they had gone back on their prior commitment to repent under Jonah. Didn't quite follow through. And so uh, the Babylonians and the Medes in 607 B.C., only 20 years after Nahum had predicted this, destroyed the city. Uh, In fact, it was so destroyed that Alexander the Great in 331 B.C., when he marched through this region, could not even tell that there was a city there. Pretty amazing. Uh, In 1850, there was an archaeologist by the name of Austin Layard who uncovered this great city, and he found inscriptions to confirm the biblical accounts of Nineveh. Now Israel was an enemy of the Assyrian Empire during this time, of which Nineveh was a part. Nineveh was the capital of um, Assyria. And the Assyrian Empire reigned for about 300 years, from 900 to 600 B.C. And this was when Jonah was written. It was really at the height of the Assyrian power, around uh, 8 to 700 BC. Now, Nineveh was located, if you can see it on the map there, in the northern part of the Euphrates Valley, which is modern-day Iraq. And the city was about uh, three miles long, about a mile and a half uh, wide, many little villages around it, kind of like suburbs. It was surrounded by an elaborate system of uh, irrigation and canals. And along the canals on the outer part of the city was a wall that surrounded the city that was 100 feet tall and four chariots side by side could ride on the top of that wall. So at at the time of Jonah, Assyria, check this out, it was in the midst of destroying the northern kingdom of Israel. And Jonah, being a prophet, from Israel was called by God, in essence, to prolong the life of the enemy nation that was destroying his own people, all right? Now, understand this, that when the Assyrians conquered, they didn't just defeat their enemy, they humiliated their enemy. Uh, they were known for skinning prisoners alive, for cutting off their feet and hands, for stacking skulls up in a mound to the delight of the victors. So God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh to seek their repentance and have them turn to God. And you know the story. Jonah says, I don't think so. He gets on a ship in the other direction, and God brings a a great storm upon the boat and all of the shipmates are upset, and they find out that Jonah was running from God, probably the cause of the storm. Jonah says, well, listen then, throw me overboard. So he just figures he's gonna give up his life and maybe save the ship and its occupants. And then we read this in Jonah 1:17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. Now, the text doesn't tell us what kind of fish this was. We really don't know if it was a whale or whatever. Uh, in fact, many folks just figure since they've never seen such a thing happen, then uh, it's simply not possible. Really, it's, it's more of a metaphor, you know, for being in a great pit or a, a great trial. Now, me, I, I just don't think God is limited by nature so I'm just going to take it at face value, and I'm going to think that God can do exactly what the text says. He can do whatever he wants. Of course, critical scholars with their anti-supernatural bias have denied the authenticity of the book of Jonah because of this very story. Uh, What I find interesting is that some scholars have have documented at least the possibility of this happening. Uh, For instance, in the Princeton Theological Review and Biblical Research Monthly, they both referred to different stories. One was about a a sperm whale swallowing large objects, including a a 15-foot shark hole. That's interesting. Others have written of whale sharks that have swallowed men whole who later survived in the shark's stomach. That's quite interesting. Uh, But perhaps the greatest miracle, I mean, whether you believe that Jonah was actually swallowed or not... um, I do, I think the book says it, so I believe it, but perhaps the greatest miracle is that a scared, runaway prophet, so forlorn he you know, throws himself overboard, that prophet is now willing to go into the belly of a nation that set out to destroy his own people. Now that's just as miraculous, I think, that God would take that kind of a guy and then turn him like he did. So The question I think that this whole story begs of us is, where do we turn when we're in a pit? Where do we turn when we're so desperate, we're in a a trial? In 1835, a man visited a, a doctor in Florence, Italy. He was filled with anxiety. He was exhausted from a lack of sleep. He couldn't eat. He kind of isolated himself from his friends. He went to the doctor. The doctor found that there was nothing physically wrong with the man. And he concluded that what this patient needed was a good time. So the v- physician told him about a circus in town and about the, its star performer, a, cl- a clown by the name of Grimaldi. Night after night, Grimaldi had the people rolling in the aisles. The doctor said, you got to go see this clown. He, he's the funniest clown ever. He's going to make you laugh. He will cure you from your sadness. The despairing man said, no, he cannot help me. I am Grimaldi. (laughs) Despair, depression, wanting to give up, having no hope. These are not the usual descriptions of prophets, well enough clowns. But none of us are immune to maybe being caught in a pit. None of us are immune to being in a desperate situation. So I want us to listen to this prayer uttered from a man on the run, a man who made a decision that he'd rather be dead than face up to God, doing what God had asked him to do. And he ends up in the lowest of lows in the ocean. Let's take a look at this passage in Jonah chapter 2. Let's all stand as we look at our passage. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. I want you to notice the descriptors of Jonah's circumstances. He's in distress. He feels like he is in the belly of Sheol. It's another name for where the dead go. So Jonah's thinking he's really at the edge of his grave. He's in the deep sea. The flood has surrounded him. Waves and billows have passed over him. Weeds wrapped around his head. His life is about to be snuffed out. He is fainting away. I think what I want us to understand at this point is that Jonah is not imagining this stuff. These are his real circumstances. He is not embellishing his plight. I mean, let's face it, some of us are prone to drama, right? We want to make it sound a little worse than it actually is. That doesn't seem to be Jonah. Life really is this bad. He really is in the ocean. He really is in the belly of a fish. Now, many of us may feel that way when life gets hard. We may have a financial bind, but we feel like we have no hope whatsoever. Or we may be in a relational conflict. We feel like the the whole world is upon our shoulders. And not to minimize our issues, but rather my point is that Jonah was not making this up. He's not making these circumstances sound worse than they actually are. This is actually happening to him. And the reason that that is important to note is that his distress is real, and that's when he's praying this prayer. He was praying this prayer from the belly of a fish. I mean, he's not yet turned a corner quite yet about, you know, being so optimistic. He didn't see land, He was not spit up by the fish yet. He didn't find an air tank and, and scuba gear in the fish. He was still there. It reminds us that we can pray amid our distress and find God. Let there be no doubt where Jonah looked in the middle of his distress. It says, our text, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I called out of my distress. I cried for help. I will look again toward thy holy temple. I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to thee. I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Clearly, he had affixed his attention upon God. Things were pretty desperate. Notice verse 4. I am driven away from your sight. See, he did not immediately feel close to God. He felt driven from his sight. How many of us don't always feel like you're close with God? Right? All of us have times in which we do not feel close to God. Guess what? That's some of the best times to pray. I'm not feeling it pray. Maybe it was the unlikelihood of being swallowed by a fish, and he he began to rethink things. And he says, "I, I have hope again of being in thy holy temple. It's really meaning being close to you, God. I find it fascinating that we can pray when we don't feel close to God. We should pray, right? When is the best time to talk to your spouse? when you don't feel close to your spouse. And you better do it quickly, right? Right? That's the best time to have a conversation, although we tend to avoid it. Jonah ran from God. I mean, let's face face it, these circumstances were largely due to his own making. And yet, it wasn't too late to approach God. Oh, isn't that good to remember? It's never too late. Jonah sought God. He prayed, he cried, he called, he looked, he remembered, he vowed. Whatever the mode, whatever the volume, seek God. And our response at that critical juncture, when you're in the middle of the test, it's going to determine whether we are going to be a useful vessel or a runaway. I think Jonah could have replayed all of these failures in his head at this point. I mean... You know, he, he refused God, he disobeyed God, he didn't go to Nineveh right away, thought he could run from that, jumps over the ship. I mean, he's, he's, in, a, he's in a bad way. And he could probably recall all the reasons and all the feelings he had at that point. And um, I got a feeling that many of us wouldn't take much work at all to recall our worst moments. We replay the tape, the worst things we've done in our life. And I mean, shame can come over us like a cloud. We can remember it in a New York second. And we can sit there for quite a while, right? But that's not how God defined him. God did not define him by his failure. Mm -mm. We may think of ourselves, you know, you could say, well, I'm Joe, the adulterer. We think we don't say it aloud, but we think that. Or I'm Molly, the drinker. Right? But God sees what our lives can be. God knows that the best chapter is to come. I bet you, Jonah, in a million years, could not have imagined that his name would be uttered by the Messiah centuries later. That's a pretty good chapter to have in your book, isn't it? that my name is uttered by Jesus. He's gonna refer back to what I did and what happened. Luke 11, when the crowds were increasing, speaking of Jesus, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It takes for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up to the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Wow, that's pretty cool. But listen, God is still writing your story And I know you feel a lot of shame and probably forgiving yourself is one of the hardest things to do, but know that God is not finished. And maybe it's not even you running away. Maybe it's just a hardship and you're still kind of defining yourself by that. God is saying, I'm not done with you. Why are you under this cloud thinking this defines who you are? I'm a great God. God. I can take this thing that's little for me. I know for you, you think it's big. But I can take this thing and I could use it in a great way and still write wonderful things in your heart and through you. Isn't it strange that when we decide to really serve God, we give our lives up to him, that we encounter severe testing, right? One of the things I always hear from Past elders, man, I never had a clue as to what was in store. And they're not just talking about the elder meetings, all (laughs) right? It just seems like there's a target upon your back, or pastors will say the same thing. And you could, maybe when you've stepped up to the plate in some ministry endeavor, you felt this extra pressure. God's purpose at every juncture of testing is to make us more effective. You may not feel like you're of much use. and You can do a lot with it. You could take a, a $5 bar of steel and you could increase its worth, double it by making some horseshoes. Or you could take a, that same $5 of steel and make some needles and you could sell that for several hundred dollars. Or you could take that same bar of steel and you could make some delicate springs for watches and probably get a quarter of a million dollars. Next time you get discouraged... At what God is putting you through, remember that your transformed heart is worth much more than watch springs. We're told that pearls are the product of pain. When the shell of an oyster is chipped or pierced by a worm or a parasite, a foreign substance, usually a grain of sand, gets in, and the inside of the oyster's shell is made up of, of lustrous lining And when the grain of sand gets in the shell, the the cells and the lining, they, they get busy and they cover the grain of sand with layer after layer in order to protect the soft body of the oyster. And the result is that a beautiful pearl is formed. We could say it this way, an unhurt oyster does not grow a pearl. A pearl is a healed wound beautiful things come out of those difficulties. Our wounds are opportunities for God to do great work. Oh, I know you hurt, but God can do great work. We pray with our hope firmly placed in God. Jonah, and again, I want to remind you that he was in the middle of his distress and he says he once again hopes to see the holy temple. He tells God in verse 6, You brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. Verse 7, I remembered the Lord. Verse 9, With a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We pray with our hope firmly placed in God. Perhaps it's being thrown overboard and being in the bottom of the ocean but jonah recognized that without god he was dead meat without god he was obviously going to drown there was no other hope and i i think for a lot of us we'll we'll say yeah you know god god is a is a hope but i have other hopes i mean it, you know i, I kind of have god on the side i mean if, in case things really get bad but in reality, I've got to do some other things. I've got some other things I can count on. And God, I'll pull out in a pinch, right? And if, the, if it really be known what our trust is in, we think, you know, as long as I have enough money, I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to have to worry. Hmm. As long as I have this one thing, I'm going to be happy. Whatever that thing is, fill in the blank. Listen, until God is your only hope, your hope is not God. Jonah was stripped of everything, and he placed his hope in God. And may we see that God is truly worthy of being our only hope. God can can do work, great work, in the infirmities. A famous study by Victor and Mildred Gortzel entitled Cradles of Eminence. The home backgrounds of 300 highly successful people were investigated and studied. And uh, 300 subjects came to the top. You'd recognize these names. Franklin Roosevelt, Helen Keller, Winston Churchill, Albert Schweitzer, Clara Barton, Gandhi, Einstein. An intensive investigation was done of their home lives, how they grew up. This is what they found. Three-fourths of them, when they were children, were troubled either by poverty, by a broken home, by rejection, over-possessive, or dominating parents. Seventy-four of eighty-five writers of fiction or drama and sixteen of twenty poets came from homes where they, as children, saw tense psychological drama played out by their parents. Physical handicaps, such as blindness, deafness, crippled limbs, characterized 25%. Of the sample. The point is, God uses our infirmities. God still works in the pit. God meets us there at the worst. And He is our only hope in the pit. See, we don't have to be slaves to our circumstances, we don't have to define ourselves by those things. Maybe we just still have too much confidence in self, and we really aren't desperate for God. Now, remember, if you're in a pit, and by the way, if you've never been in one, and I mean this in a medical, metaphorical sense, where you're truly desperate for God, trust me, that your day is coming. It will happen, okay? I hope you remember that God is your only hope. And by the way, when I say that, I don't mean necessarily that God will deliver you from the circumstance like Jonah, because I don't think that Jonah really had it all worked out about how this was going to happen. What he had was a hope in God's presence. Just knowing that God was there, that was enough. Now, whatever may befall me from that, that's in God's hands. Jonah could have just as well died would God be any less deserving of being our hope? No, no. Now, I love how the story ends in a a supernatural way. I mean, that's cool. And I believe it happened. But Christians also die in car wrecks. Christians also get trapped in earthquakes. Christians also die in all kinds of different ways. God is no less supernatural, no less great. The point is, he's there in that earthquake, He's there in that hurricane, and whether I survive or not, I can rely upon his presence who can comfort and be with me no matter what, whatever the outcome, God is there. I mean, I know sometimes it's hard to ferret that out. I mean, you know, you, you pray about things. I mean, you really don't want to have that infirmity, and, and there's nothing wrong with praying that God would take it away. I mean, I pray those that way too. But I ultimately realize, that I get to the point, I'm saying, but God, listen, this is in your hands. And if you decide not to take it, you know what? I'll be all right with that. Make it a little harder, but, you know, I'll be all right with that because you're there. I think some of us lose confidence with God, do we not? We focus on ourselves, and we think, you know, I just can't face this, whatever is up ahead. It's just too much. This obstacle is just too big. I'm bailing out. I'm jumping ship. I guess we know where that came from, right? Remember, my dear friends, you are not alone. It's not just you. It's you and God. I mean, a pit is a place God puts us to see him only. and we are prone to look to ourselves and all the other idols that we make to put our faith in. God wants us to lose confidence in our own strength. Verse 8 and 9, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There are plenty of vain pursuits. I've tried a lot of them. I'm sure you have too. Isn't it funny how, you know, you you pursue something in your own strength or you make an idol, and when you don't get what you want, isn't it odd how Christians will blame God for that? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, I, I'm going to spend $1,000 on lottery tickets, and God, you didn't come through for me. <laughs> it's like, Really, that's God's fault? <laughs> wow. I mean, we, we, we put confidence in things that become idols and then wonder why God seems so far away and, and distant. We forsake his love, his presence. We do that when we make these fleshly equations. I'll be happy when God gives me this. I'll be okay when this happens. And God is all the time saying, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying I'm not enough? You need me to do this little magic trick for you? You've got to have this one thing. How about just my presence? And I think that's where all of us have to get. Our salvation is in him alone. We can pray from a pit. God meets us in a pit. A pit is a place that God puts us to see him only. On May 26, 2013, at 4.30 a.m., the Jaskon 4 was one of three tugboats towing an oil freighter off the coast of Nigeria. It started to sink. And Howard O'Kenney, the tugboat's 29-year-old cook, immediately knew that something was wrong. As the vessel descended 100 feet to the floor of the Atlantic Ocean, it pitched upside down. Kenny was tossed to and fro in his small quarters, so he groped his way through the pitch darkness, through the icy waters, finally finding a cabin that had a a four-foot air pocket. So he made this makeshift platform out of a couple mattresses to try to escape the rising waters. He only had his boxing shorts on, and he sat on the mattresses. He was waiting for help. The thought of being rescued seemed very remote. Imagine, pitch dark, 100 foot, bottom of the ocean. I mean, that, that's pretty bad. Well, Kenny was a Christian, and he started to pray the Psalms. Oh, God, by your name, save me. The Lord sustains my life. He later told reporters, I started calling on the name of God, reminiscing on the verses I read before I slept. I read the Bible from Psalm 54 to 92. My wife had sent me the verses to read that night when she called me before I went to bed. Two and a half days later, Kenny was certain the rest of the 11 men on his crew had drowned and that he was also going to drown. And then he heard the sound of rescuers who started banging on the steel walls with a hammer. The Dutch divers who found him couldn't believe their eyes, and as they reached out for the hand of a man that they assumed was dead, that hand grabbed theirs. To this day, O'Kenney believes that his rescue, after 72 hours underwater, was the result of divine deliverance. How could you not believe that? He told a Nigerian newspaper, "The rest of my life is not enough to thank God for this wonder. It's incredible." I'd say, "Amen." But listen, Harrison O'Kenny could have drowned there, and God was still with him. And if he had drowned, God would have still comforted him. But it's cool that God reminds us when He intervenes like this to remind us, "I'm there." I can work supernaturally, but I am there with you in the pit. God is not deaf to our cries. Let us pray to God when we're in the pit. He is able, he is eager to save. Let's pray.